This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And today I'm joined by my husband, Dennis. Here at Amazing Grace, we want to hear from you. We'd love to hear your feedback. And we'd also um, have a couple of free giveaways. One is called the book um, Steps to Christ, which is an amazing little book that I thoroughly recommend. And the other is in the local takeaways here in the Palmerston North Takeaways, and it's the magazine signs, and uh, there's racks in most of the takeaways here, and this magazine is packed full with punchy articles about health and family and issues that we face in life today. Yes, so, and you can contact us by email, and the email is info at mpr.nz and you can also um, reach us on text number 022-6815216. Right, so we're going to start with a devotional today and we're looking at the verse as focused on Philippians 4 verse 7, this peace will control the way you think and feel. And I just love Philippians chapter 4, starting at verses 4 to about uh, 7, I think it is. Yeah, just, just wonderful, wonderful tips really for having the peace that passes all understanding in the midst of very st- stressful situations. The the people that um, Paul was writing to were facing being persecuted, thrown even to lions and bears in the arena, the Roman arena, because they refused to worship Caesar and because they put God, only God, in that place of worship. And Paul, when he said it, He was actually in prison and he said rejoice in the Lord always and again I say rejoice. So yes and this is verse 7, this peace will control the way you think and feel and the the thoughts are entitled God's got this exclamation mark. Mother Teresa is attributed with saying I know God won't give me anything I can't handle. I just wish he didn't trust me so much. 
Is that how you feel today, dear friend? Like there is too much to do and not enough of you to do it. We all feel like that at times. Let this verse percolate in your mind. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's found in Romans fifteen thirteen. The way to have peace in the midst of a troubled situation is by staying filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. How do you do that, you ask? By developing a spiritual hunger and asking God to make you hungry, to make me hungry for him and letting God fill you. He can give you a sense of serenity when you're surrounded by stress. Peace in the midst of the storm. So if you're in over your head today, pray this. Father, you said no weapon formed against me shall prosper. Isaiah fifty four seventeen. I can't keep the enemy's weapons from being formed, but I know you will keep them from prevailing against me. You said, if I ask anything according to your will, you will grant my request. And that's from First John five, fourteen to 15. You said, when I walk in obedience, I will be blessed when I come in, and when I go out, and when I lie down, and when I go up, get up. That's Deuteronomy 28, 6, and Psalms 1, verse 2, and chapter 3, verse 5. You told me to turn all my troubles over to you, and you will take care of me. Verse Peter 5, 7. So, here they are. Today, I'm standing on your promises. You said it. I believe it. That settles it. Amen. Isn't that a good prayer? A really good prayer. So, uh, yes, why don't we just pray that prayer right now? Father, you've said that no weapon formed against the listener, against me, against anyone shall prosper. We can't keep the enemy's weapons from being formed but you've said you will keep them from prevailing against us. You said, if I ask anything according to your will, you will grant my request. God, you've said, when I walk in obedience, I will be blessed when I come in and when I go out and when I lie down and when I get up. God, you told us to turn all our troubles over to you and you will take care of us. So here they are today. Lord, you know the troubles that the listeners have. You count the hairs on their head. You know, you number them. You see the sparrows that fall, and how much more you care for each of those who hear my voice, Lord. How much more you care for them than anything else. In the whole world, Lord, you gave your life for people like you, like you, listener, and like me. And Lord, 
Today we're going to stand on your promises. You have said it. We believe it. We trust it. And that settles it. Amen. Now we're going to have a song by Wren Collective, uh, an Irish Christian group, and the song is called Hymn of the Ages. History shall bow before your throne Time and space on bended knees shall come Though kingdoms pass away Your majesty remains How great you are How great must be your soul Wretches friend The angels stand in awe This beggar heart responds How great you are How great must be your soul You're the
powerful song. The legacy of Jesus and what he has done will echo through the ages. So now we're going to be listening to some excerpts from Dr. Darren Morton, Live More Happy is the book. And uh, we've been looking at this over the few weeks and remembering that um, this is talking all about the part of our brain called the limbic, limbic system. And this is the part of the brain and um, which is responsible for our emotions. Feeling is its core feeling it is its core business and mood its main role. And it has a huge influence on our whole thinking. And um, as a nickname, just to make it easy to remember, um, Dr. Morton calls it the limbo. Alrighty, so we've been up to we've been up to the chapter that's dealing with uh, human relationships. Together feels better. And today we're looking at what we got up to from last week, which is strengthening your existing relationships. How important that is. Let's let's have a listen. It is great to make new relationships, but it can be greater still to strengthen our existing ones. When relationships get hard, there is a tendency to think that if the other person would just change their attitudes and actions, things would be so much better. Perhaps they would, but good luck on that, he says. Ultimately, we have little control over others. The only things we really have control over are our own attitudes and actions. We can only change ourselves, and this can sometimes lead to change in others. In fact, sometimes changing ourselves offers the only hope for seeing change in others. Here is where it gets really challenging. If we are committed to strengthening our existing relationships, there are two things we can do to help. But before we consider them, let me stress, Darren Morton says, the need to value and nurture our existing relationships. Life gets so busy that our time is consumed by the urgent to the detriment of the important. It's it's too easy to regulate sorry it's too easy to regulate to relegate that makes more sense it's too easy to relegate investing time in other words put it to one side investing time in our relationships there are times when relationships should and need to end in abusive situations, for example, but the ideal is to strengthen the ones you have. So how can this be done? And it says, entitled the section, Love First. We can love first. He says, I know it sounds trite, cliche and cheesy, but love can potentially overcome anything and everything. There are so many stories that demonstrate this to be true. So what does love look like? 
And what does it mean to love first? I can think of no better way to describe it than in the words of the great love chapter probably read at more weddings than not. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. And that's from 1 Corinthians 13. This passage doesn't describe feelings of infatuation or erotic desire, which is often what love is mistakenly betrayed to be. Instead, this love chapter describes selfless actions and attitudes that go against the grain of what what comes naturally to most of us. Read Read the text again as you think about your current relationships and ask yourself, do I do that? Of course, none of us do it perfectly, but striving to do so has the potential to change the attitudes and actions of others when nothing else can. Dr. Jerry, Gary Chapman, author of the classic The Five Love Languages, provides excellent insights into how we can intentionally love first. He explains that people receive love and feel cared for in different ways. They speak different love languages. The five love languages are words of affirmation, receiving gifts, quality time, physical touch and acts of service. Dr. Chapman explains that in order for people to feel truly cared for and loved, we need to speak their love language. Once again, think about the people who are close to you. What might be their love language? Bearing in mind that we tend to give the way we would like to receive, Understanding the love language of others, then speaking it intentionally, regularly and persistently can strengthen our existing relationships and in some instances even save dying ones. Okay, so that's the thoughts from uh, Darren Morton today. Live more happy, love first and thinking how we can intentionally show love to those who are close to us and thinking about their love language, which may be words of affirmation or receiving gifts, quality time, physical touch or acts of service. And sometimes we usually have one that's really strong and one that's um, not quite so strong, but we do have more than one love language. Okay, so now we're going to have another song. And this is about the one who speaks the loudest when it comes to love language. And he's our wonderful, merciful Saviour, Shepherd, Redeemer and Friend.
to be digging into the Bible and Dennis is going to be looking at Revelation chapter 6 today. Welcome Dennis. Right, yes, it's great to be here and to um, talk about uh, the, the most important things in the world, uh, which is the Bible. Bible tells us what is ahead. The book of Revelation is dealing with um, especially end time events and this time 
Um, <clears throat> we we were up to chapter six in the seals, and we we were talking um, last time of chapter five, and um, uh, it's talking out there about the Lamb Jesus. He is worthy to rule, and <clears throat> this is um, what it's all about. So. Um, yeah, we're just going to look at the first four seals, and mainly the first one this time. So, um, yep, we're at a break. If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate. Right, um, so we're back here um, looking at the book of Revelation been going through and now, um, like I said, we're up to chapter 6. Now in chapter 5 there was um, these seven seals and they were sealed and no one could open them except the Lamb um, from the tribe of Judah. And uh, so we're going to get into the seals and I'm just going to ask um, Lynette if she can read uh, we're just going to look at um, the beginning of it, but we'll read um, verses 1 to 8. Thank you, Lynette. Mm-hmm. So, now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying, with a loud, with a voice like thunder, come and see. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, he who sat on it had a bow and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come and see. Another horse, fiery red, went out, And it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth and that people should kill one another. And there was given to him a great sword. And when he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come and see. So I looked and behold, a black horse and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius. And do not harm the oil and the wine. That was verse 6. Right, to verse 8. Okay. When he opened the fourth seal... I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come and see. So I looked and behold a pale horse, and the name of him who sat on it was Death, and Hades followed with him. And power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, 
with hunger, with death, and by the base of the earth. Mm. Right. Pretty grim picture. <clears throat> it, it sounds um, interesting. Now, Lynette, I'd like you to go to Zechariah, and I'm going to get you to read it in a little bit. Um, chapter 1, verses 8 to 11. So <clears throat> that seems very hard to understand, doesn't it? There's four horses. Now, it's interesting, the book of Revelation, um, we have um, roughly 400 um, verses and 276 of them actually come quotes from the Old Testament. So um, the Revelation 6, we have horses that come from the throne of God. Now, these are God's angels, right? And then Revelation 9, we have horses that come from the bottomless pitch, uh, bottomless pit, which are evil angels. So there's a great controversy going on in this world. Now, when you understand the symbols, it really, um, you can understand the message. So uh, <clears throat> I'm just going to show you um, about horses and different color of horses. So, Lynette, are you there? Are you at um, Zechariah? Yes, I am. And uh, if you could read chapter 1, verse 8 to 11. Mm -hmm. I saw by night, and behold, a man riding on a red horse, and it stood among the myrtle trees in the hollow, and behind him were horses red, sorrel, and white. Then I said, My Lord, what are these? So the angel who talked with me said to me, I will show you what they are. And the man who stood among the myrtle trees answered and said, These are the ones whom the Lord has sent to walk to and fro throughout the earth. So they answered the angel of the Lord who stood among the myrtle trees and said, We have walked to and fro throughout the earth, and behold, all the earth is resting quietly. Mm -hmm. So these are messengers that go to the earth. Now the other place um, where it talks about horses is um, chapter 6. I'll just read a little bit. I looked up again, and there, this is Zechariah 6, just starting from verse 1, I looked up again, and there before me were four chariots coming out from between two mountains, mountains of bronze. The first chariot had red horses, the second black, the third white, the fourth, um, <coughs> dr, dr, it's D-R-A-P-P-L-E-D. Um, how do you say that? And all of them were powerful. And I asked the angel who was speaking to me, What are these, my Lord? And the angel answered me, These are four spirits of heaven going out from standing in the presence of the Lord um, of the whole earth. One with a black horse goes towards the north, one with the white horse towards the west, and one with the, I'm not sure how to say that, D-A-P-P-L-E-D, horses. Dapple, probably was dapple grey. I'm not sure what colour that is, um, towards the south. 
when the powerful horses went out, they were straining to go throughout the earth. And he said, go throughout the earth. And so they went throughout the earth. And then he called to me, look, these are going towards the the uh, north country and have given my spirit rest in the land of the north. So um, these horses in Revelation 6 are angels, God's angels. Now, I want to read again um, verse 2 because we're just going to concentrate on verse 2. And it says there, this is Revelation 6 verse 2, and I looked and there before me was a white horse, white horse. Its rider held a bow and he was given a crown and he rode out to conquer and bent on conquest. Now, isn't that interesting? I wonder what that could be all talking about. Now, white in Revelation represents the things of God. Now, I just want to read. I've been mentioning about these booklets which are written for lay people like you and me who can better understand the book of Revelation because Revelation is talking about last things. Now, just let me read this. And reading from – this is the um, – this is the one that has the 24 um, booklets. And this is Session 7 and the Four Horsemen of Revelation. And this is what it said. This must be symbolic language because um, one horse and rider with one bow will not make much impact in our world. White is always used in Revelation as a symbol of purity. For example, God's people are dressed in white robes. If you, if you have a look in verse 11, that's what it says. Verse 11 in Revelation 6, it says, And each of them were given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer. So in verse 7, it says the same about um, God's people having white robes. In Revelation 19, 11 to 16, Christ is pictured as riding a white horse as he leads his armies into battle at the end of time. The Roman general would ride a white horse to celebrate a great victory. The rider is going out to make war with a bow as a weapon. A bow. And in the Old Testament, God sometimes portrayed as riding a horse with a bow in his hand, going forth to conquer his enemies and bring salvation to his people. So it's interesting if you have a look at, um, if you've got these um, little booklets, they explain a bit more. So you could have a look at Habakkuk 3. Um, 8 to 13 and Psalms 45, 4 and 5, but we won't read it. The Greek word used here for crown describes a crown used for victory um, in a war of the Olympics. But this is a spiritual victory. The overcoming and the conquest is possible because of Christ. We have already seen and we'll continue to see he overcomes and conquered at Calvary is the dominant theme in the book of Revelation. The con- construction of Greek um, of these verses is continuous. He will keep on doing this until there is nothing left to conquer. This horse represents sharing the gospel. 
and throughout Christian history, beginning in John's day and going forth until Jesus returns. The Christian church began with a powerful start at Pentecost, where 3,000 were converted in one day. It will finish with even more powerful demonstration of God's Spirit. And when the gospel goes to the world for a witness, at the end, just before Jesus returns. So that's what uh, Lesson 7, talking about the first seal and the white horse. So, Lynette, do you think we should have a break? Revelation chapter 2, and especially the first seal and the white horse, the white horse, um, which is interesting. So the white horse is the gospel. The goodness, um, the gospel, yeah, the gospel, which is the good news, good news that goes to the world before Jesus comes. So in in Matthew twenty four fourteen it says this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness before Jesus comes and then he will come. So the white horse is going out to conquer 
and he wants to conquer um, the hearts of men and women. So the book of Revelation um, says this a lot. Now, um, Lynette, if you can read Revelation um, 18, verse 1, please. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. Mm, right, illuminated by um, his glory. Now, the glory of God, if you remember Moses, he said, show me, um, I want to see you. I want to um, um, I want to see your glory. I want to see you. And God said, you cannot see my face and I'll, I'll put you in, in the cliff and my hand will... Um, I put my hand over so you cannot see my face. And when God passed, Moses saw the back of God and he saw the glory of God and he saw the goodness of God. So the glory of God is the goodness of God. And so when you look at God, when you really understand what God is like, he draws us. It's like a person who loves you, you know, whether it's your mum that loves you or... um, your father that loves you or your wife or husband, if they're really loving, you feel really drawn to them. And when we look at God and we see how loving he is, it draws us. It really does. Um, See, God is so loving. He gave us life. But because of man's rebellion in the beginning, we have... We've gone astray, and um, we. The Bible actually says that we're hostile to God, and God's going out, and He's trying to conquer uh, the hearts of men and women and boys and girls, and He's. He can only do it by love. Only love begets love. Hatred begets hatred. See, if you hate someone and hurt someone, um, you will hate them more and more. Um, but if you love someone, the more you love and have actions of love towards a person, the more you will grow in love towards that person. It's the same with God. If you look at God and see how loving he's drawing you. So he goes to um, <coughs> conquer. Now I'm just going to read um, from a book, and it's called The Seven Keys, and it's actually written by John Pauline, who wrote these booklets for him and, and a, a guy by the name of Dr. Bradford. Now, as the horses go out to the world, it goes out to conquer people's hearts, leading them to God and bringing them under his rulership. Chapter 5 establishes that God is the rightful ruler of the universe. The white horses go forth. It invites people to become citizens of the heavenly kingdom. See, Jesus, he he wants to conquer. He wants to conquer the hearts of men and women. He can only do it by love. Now, this is what the great controversy is all about because we have this angel. If you read um, Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14, it talks about the fall of Lucifer, who is Satan. He was the head of all the angels. He was created next to God, and then he rebelled against God. He became lifted up, and he rebelled, and he wanted to take the throne of God. 
and then uh, he was given every opportunity and then he was cast out. And then when Adam and Eve fell, that gave the devil um, access to this world. He became um, the the ruler of this world. And so God has come to conquer and he conquered at Calvary. He showed what the devil was like and um, he showed what he is like, what God is like, his character, dying for men and women. But see, the devil, he can't attack God anymore. Um, God's in heaven and he knows that God loves people and he's died for them. And uh, so he's out to deceive all. Right, and he wants all to be lost. Um, and so this battle between Christ and Satan for the hearts of men and women, and this is what this verse is all about in Revelation 6 and verse 2. Now, when you go, um, I don't know if we've got time, but we'll, um, we'll have a look at uh, Revelation 16, and this is Armageddon. It, it says... Um, verse 16, it says, um, this is Revelation 16, verse 16. It's easy to remember, isn't it? Then they gathered the kings together to the place that is in Hebrew that is called Armageddon. So, you know, you've seen the movie Armageddon, um, and it's this big battle, you know, but... Um, <clears throat> This is not what it's all about. It's not about destroying this world. Um, it's actually a battle for the hearts of men and women. In verse 6, uh, I mean verse 12, it says there, The sixth angel poured out his bowl in the great river Euphrates, and the waters was dried up to prepare the uh, way for the kings from the east. Then I saw three evil spirits that looked like frogs, and they came out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. And they are the spirits of demons performing miraculous signs. They go to the kings of the whole earth to gather them for the battle of the great day of God Almighty. Behold, I'm coming as a thief. Blessed is he who stays awake and keeps his clothes with him so that he may not go naked and be fully exposed so, <clears throat> it's interesting, isn't it? Now, the battle of Armageddon. In Revelation 6, Satan's attack, his attacks is on the people and um, to conquer God's church and to keep those who are his to deceive if possible. The battle of Armageddon is a battle for the mind, your mind and my mind. See, what Satan wants, he wants everyone to be cast into hell with him. He wants people to be lost, lost forever. But God wants people to be saved. Uh, so the battle of Armageddon is a battle for the mind. God wants your mind, your heart, for your eternal good. Satan wants your mind to destroy you. God doesn't use force, but Satan does. And um, in Revelation 3, we, we talked about this when we were um, going through the different churches, and it says in Revelation 3 in verse 10, Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. So 
<coughs> the Battle of Armageddon deals with um, the end of the world and the great controversy between Christ and Satan. And <coughs> the thing is, <coughs> in the end, everyone is going to physically worship Satan or worship Christ. Now, I've got a book here. It's called... Um, <coughs> It is called The End of Terrorism. And it says here, the major manifestations of Antichrist in the last day will be the union of church and state, which are both in apostasy. But something else should be added. There is a viewpoint which should uh, be given serious consideration. This chapter may also be speaking also about the ultimate manifestation where the spirit of demons will counterfeit the coming of Christ and work signs and wonders. The same language is found about spirits in Revelation 6 as here used about the man of sin. So this is quoting from Second Thessalonians chapter 2. The point this points to the ultimate counterfeit of the coming of Christ by the demons themselves working through wicked spirits in many places on earth, pretending to be God, pretending to be the fire come down for heaven, pretending to be what Elijah prayed for, to be what the prophet um, Jezebel wanted. All around the world, myriams of demons described in Revelation 9 is numbering something like 100 million will counterfeit the coming of Christ in all the great populated cities with great signs and wonder. The practical point for us is that Earth's final crisis will take place when humanity rejects the gospel because the wicked one... um, because the wicked don't love the gospel but believe the lie, the lie um, that Antichrist is the true Christ. They believe the lie because they reject the true Christ. They believe the false gospel because they reject the true, the true. So, <coughs> so just got to turn my notes over here. Um, so if you read in Second Thessalonians, you'll see what I mean. This is talking about the crisis at the end of the world. So in Revelation 6, verse 2, this first horse, the white horse, Jesus wants to conquer your heart. He is bent on conquest. He will never give up to there is no hope of you coming to him. He loves you. He is your maker. He died to save you. If you haven't come to him, come to him because he says that, um, my son, give me your heart. And the last promise in the Bible, the lot, yeah, it says here in Revelation twenty two seventeen, it says the spirit and the bride says, come, let him who hears say, come, and whoever is thirsty, let him come, and whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. Isn't that wonderful? I hope he's conquered your heart. So God bless you. Until next time. Thank you, Dennis. And yes, we're about to wrap up another Amazing Grace program. And so, yes, just a reminder about the uh, two free giveaways, one here in the local takeaways. 
the book Signs Magazine and um, great articles in it, looking in, and finding them in the takeaways here in Palmerston North. And the other is Steps to Christ. And you can get them or you can email us um, your thoughts, any questions. Email is info at mpr.nz and or text on 0226815216 and we are happy to pray with you or a family or a family member um, for your or family member on or off air as well so let's close with a prayer heavenly father we thank you for your word it is a light unto our feet and a lamp for our path Help us to hear your voice in the Bible. Help us to seek you first by reading the Bible to get to know you and to hear what you're saying to us. Bless the ones who are listening right now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So from all of us here at Amazing Grace, we pray that you will grow in grace. May the love of the Father and the grace of the Lord Jesus and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. God bless. Until next time.